Love It or Leave It is brought to you by Angels Envy. Envy is commonly regarded as a vice, but it can be a good thing. Envy can be a catalyst for creation, inspiring the world to raise the bar. And Angels Envy is a bourbon that is worth the envy. Angels Envy bends the rules. It's a little different from all the other bourbons out there because Angels Envy is the pioneer of secondary finishing in bourbon. Angels Envy is finished in port barrels, which adds a layer of complexity to the whiskey and gives it a unique and approachable flavor. Plus, Angels Envy is one of the first full production urban distilleries in downtown Louisville. And whether it's for someone special or to bring to a housewarming party, Angels Envy makes the perfect gift. These angels are so, they have so much envy with its unique bottle design. Angels Envy bourbon finished in port barrels is sure to be the envy of any bar cart too. Look for Angels Envy bourbon finished in port barrels. Please drink responsibly. Copyright 2024, Angels Envy bottled by Louisville Distilling Company, Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome to Love It or Leave It, back in the closet elect. Another week in quarantine. Today we're gay for democracy. Can't be over it until it's over. A little over it. Still moving forward. Finding inspiration in a little laughter we can gather from a Saturday morning. He's back, back, back in the closet. Get off Twitter for a minute, cause we gotta save the Senate. He's back, back, back in the closet. The soul of the nation, we voted and we saved it for now. It's all hands on deck, so make sure you wash them and wear a mask. Thanks to Ashlyn Parsons for sending in that incredible song. If you want to make a Back in the Closet elect theme song, please send it to leave it at crooked.com. That's leave it at crooked.com. We're only a few weeks away from the runoff in Georgia on January 5th that will determine control of the Senate. Early voting starts on December 14th. And if you're looking for ways to support groups on the ground, sign up to Adopt Georgia. We'll be sending new opportunities to donate and to volunteer every week between now and January. So head over to votesaveamerica.com slash Georgia to learn more about what you can do right now. Also, this week, there is a brand new episode of With Friends Like These, and it is fantastic. Anna talks to Matthew Hungle-Tetling about an unusual fight that broke out in New Hampshire between libertarians and bears. I love this story. You will love this story. So go listen, and don't forget to subscribe to With Friends Like These wherever you get your podcasts. Later in the show, we are joined by Senator Brian Schatz and Darcy Carden. But first, she's a comedian, actress, writer, and host of her new show, The Sarah Silverman Podcast. Please welcome back, returning champion, Sarah Silverman. <laughs> you call everyone a returning champion. I know that. Well, thanks for being here. Thanks. First of all, Tell us about the podcast. Ooh, I have a podcast called the Sarah Silverman Podcast. Yeah, so I take, uh, we listen to voicemails and then um, we, I guess the royal way, and then I, that kind of steers the trajectory of the uh, podcast. And you know, it's one of those things where I go, how am I going to fill a podcast talking? But it's like when you go to therapy and you go like, what am I going to say? I don't have anything to say. And then 50 minutes later, you're sobbing and... Your therapist is like, we have to wrap up. And then you're like, this relationship isn't real? 
they never you you know you try to fight for an extra two minutes it never happens yeah you know you just want an extra two minutes so much empathy until uh the time is up and then it's all and it's not an hour no it is not it's five zero minutes exactly (laughs) that's not love it's not love it's it's never been love they don't love you i remember years ago thinking my therapist is my best friend and i had been seeing her for years and then i I, one day I asked her one question about herself. <laughs> Do you have kids? Yeah, I have four. Yeah, that's not a friendship. I'm not being a friend. She isn't my friend. I'm paying her. No, she. well, I actually think it's she is your best friend. You're her worst friend. Yeah, right. She's not asking me to be a maid of honor. I'm not even invited to the wedding. I'm not even a part of her life. I'm anonymous even when she reiterates things. If she reiterates things. She doesn't. If she even brings up things that you bring up. That's the thing. She goddamn doesn't, does she? Her goal at the end of every day, actually, is to try to forget you exist so that she can have a night. Yeah. She doesn't want to think about you. Your work. (laughs) Well, Sarah, thank you for being here. So here's what we do. We're going to go through the week's news. I'm going to share some jokes of varying quality. And you can judge them, appreciate them. Dismiss them, fix them, ignore them, say whatever you'd like. The options are almost endless. So let's get into it. What a week. Whee! <laughs> a big MIT study of fake news found that false information consistently outperforms the truth on Twitter, and it's not because of bots. The study analyzed some 126,000 stories tweeted over more than 10 years and found that a false story reaches 1,500 people six times quicker than a true story on average. The author of the study went on to say, I have a massive penis. <laughs> That's a good one. I didn't expect that one. It was a twist. A little bit. It was unexpected. And it, it was wasn't unexpected. even a like, um, mm, that's clever. It was like a, it, it made me go the onomatopoeia of ha. Thank you. Ha That's ha. why I moved it up to the top. I thought it had a shot. That was I, a good I thought it had a real shot. thought it had a real shot. Attorney General Bill Barr is reportedly considering resigning before the end of Trump's term, the equivalent of leaving the party early after clogging the toilet just because you left doesn't mean we don't all know what you did in there. I like it. That made me smile. I like it because it isn't clever. It's not clever. I don't like a clever joke. I like a joke that gets me. Well done. Four out of five stars. Don't want to spoil you. Don't want to spoil you. All right. I mean, come on. No, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Armed protesters gathered outside of Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson's home on Saturday night, shouting obscenities, conspiracy theories, and demands to overturn the election results. Oh, great. QAnon is now offering home delivery. It's more of a... It's cute. It's cute. It's cute. It's cute. It it's is cute. cute. It's cute. Meanwhile, in Idaho, Ada County Commissioner Diana Lachiando had to leave a meeting about public health guidance because anti-mask protesters had surrounded her home and were terrifying her 12-year-old son who was home alone. But little did those protesters know her son, Kevin, had set up traps all around the house. Because Kevin, (laughs) he cooks, he cleans, and he kicks some butt. The tagline. That's the tagline. Is that the the tagline tagline of Home Alone? It's actually like very complicated. It's like, they forgot Kevin, but don't worry. He cooks, he cleans, he kicks some butt. It's a very detailed tagline it gets a lot of information out there that seems like a tagline that went through many filters and many lawyers because we're like this is a child home alone we can't make light of this 
We have to, you have to say he's okay. I do think that the reception for Home Alone would have been different if they show the next scene after the wet bandits are arrested, which is Kevin being permanently removed from the home because he was abandoned and it was completely unacceptable. Yeah. Did not know anyone in the city of Chicago? Maybe that a neighbor on their son, a neighbor. Yeah. Check, call a neighbor, call yeah. somebody. You got a kid home alone. It's in the title. That's not a, it's too too young to be home alone for a week. Too young. Well, you know, latchkey kids. Growing up too fast. I came home when I was seven. I was home alone. For an hour. Right. A couple not, of not hours. Not overnight. Not overnight. Not a week. But your parents are gallivanting wherever they were. Yeah. They fly first. Yeah. And those kids, the parents fly first. Kids are in coaching. These kids, movie. this is. The only these, way it works. It's true. These people are rich. They live in a mansion. The McAllisters are doing great. Yeah. People don't talk about it. <laughs> I don't mean to bring up uh, the Sarah Silverman program from so many years ago, but my favorite episode was an episode where I sue the movie Home Alone. <laughs> and I win. Why'd you sue? Um, because I set up a prank where a paint, when the guy opens the door, a paint can swings and it decapitates him. <laughs> and he dies. That's the other thing. That's the other thing. Some of those wounds would have been life-threatening. Yeah. Over the weekend, Rudy Giuliani announced he has tested positive for COVID-19, but he's doing everything he can to challenge the results. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Trump lawyer Jenna Ellis has tested positive for coronavirus after attending a White House Christmas party on Friday. It might have been unwise to attend, but she just really wanted to see all the ugly sweaters, especially Rudy Giuliani. Ah, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> all right, yeah. He's sweaty. He's sweat. He is sweaty of the sweat. Yeah. A lot of sweat. Do you think Rudy Giuliani, if you searched his search history, uh, says like, um, no drip hair color when with no drip in uh, quotes, trying to maybe find something more. It's got to get something better. Yeah. Sweat proof. It's just falling apart. I look, I've said this before. I respect anything a person does hair wise for men to want to have you know, longer hair, comb overs, wigs, weaves, plants, whatever. Whatever a man wants to do up there to keep it going, I get it. I get it. I embrace it. I support it. But Rudy, making the the ring around the back of your head beneath your glasses jet black, that doesn't do anything for you. No, I mean, come on. What is he, 30, 35? Hey, Mr. Giuliani, when's your father going to get here? We have a uh, press conference, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I want, they should remake the movie Rudy and have it be about him. No. So apparently there was a movie about Rudy's life, the Rudy Giuliani story starring uh, James Woods. And it's absolute garbage. However, it just speaks to how much has changed because Rudy was Time's Person of the Year in 2001, and then soon after they make this movie, it's a absolute, complete travesty of a film. James Woods was nominated for an Emmy. For it? I think he may have won that Emmy. I think he may have won that Emmy. Yeah, that was a time when if any actor from movies does something on TV, you're, that's just, you're guaranteed an Emmy nomination. It was just trying to say, like, thank you for coming here. Thank you for coming to the small screen. Yeah, we appreciate it. This is a transitional window. We're sort of still kind of reconciling what happened to George Clooney. We're not yet. Big Little Lies is not even in anyone's imagination. Right. We're still not there. Right. We're still not there. It's still a question mark. What's going to happen to the friends? We can get James Woods at the Emmys? Yeah, we're going to nominate him. 
if he just like retired, he could have been America's mayor. That's how he would have re been remembered. America's mayor. He wanted to make some cash and now he needs a pardon. He needs that, he needs that sweet, sweet pardon. You don't tweet thank you to my dear friend Donald Trump unless you need a pardon. Yeah. He's got to get that pardon. A dolly pardon. Sorry. Hey. No, it's good. It's good. It's good. People are crashing their cars. Losing. Right now. Yeah. Right now. They're freaking out. Because it sounds freaking like Dolly out. Parton, the singer. Yeah. It and does. Savior. It sounds a little bit like a Dolly Parton, huh? Huh? Going to issue one of those Dolly Pardons, huh? <laughs> Jolene on the Justice Department to get myself a pardon, huh? Oh! Huh? Oh! <laughs> Stay-at-home orders have gone into effect for tens of millions of Californians after ICU capacities in Southern California dip below 15%. My message could not be simpler. It's time to hunker down, Garcetti said Wednesday. It's time to cancel everything, and if it isn't essential, don't do it. Of course, while the message couldn't be simpler, the order certainly could have been, as it allowed a host of confusing and seemingly contradictory exceptions. But I will say, Sarah, I've, I've barely been able to keep up. I was really, I was at this amazing seven-course dinner at the French Laundry. They do this truffle foam. Um, it's uh, exquisite. That's a Gavin Newsom gag, right? Well, you know what? There have been so many people issuing orders and then going on various trips and restaurant meals. I mean, it's not just uh, uh, the mayor of San Francisco did something similar. The mayor of Austin did something similar. Politicians across the country have been issuing these orders and then violating them. And then, and then like, I don't know about, I, without naming, I won't name names, but I don't know about you, Sarah, but I have heard about one too many Fancy L.A. rich people having secret events. There are so many people playing fast and loose, you know? I can't even believe it. I don't trust anybody. I see my dad. My dad's 83, so, and I see him at least once a week, usually more. I can't take that shit home to him. No, absolutely not. He's elderly. He's elderly. I just turned 50. I kept it real low key. I had a party of not even 50 people <laughs> in a really small space. First of all, I don't think COVID's going to believe you're 50. Oh. Come on. COVID, no way. You are so bad. Come on. Yeah. COVID's, COVID's like, like the... you're too pretty to get COVID. That's what people are saying. That's mm -hmm. what people are saying. A lot of people are saying that. <laughs> Bernie Sanders and Republican Josh Hawley have come out for another round of stimulus checks, and the White House has agreed to support $600 checks, which will go a long way to paying off everyone's rent from the first two weeks of April. <laughs> Very good. That's more of a snarky thing. Snark. Little snark. Little snark. Yeah. In Georgia runoff news, Senator David Perdue didn't show up for his televised debate against opponent John Ossoff and instead was represented by an empty lectern. Sadly, the debate ended in a tie. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I'm just... Vote your asses off. All right? Vote your asses off. Just kidding. I wrote Gotta a real simple jingle. Let's hear it. Johnny Ossoff and Rafi Warnock. For Georgia and the USA. It's that simple. Thanks. Is it genius? No, it's simple. That's what gets into your, that's the bug, the earworm that's going to win. So good. So good. Is High John Ossoff, John Ossoff's the guy that they made his nose uh, bigger in an ad so he'd look a little There's more been... a wink, wink, yeah. you know what? Yeah. A little more, uh, a little more New York. Yeah. A little, yeah. uh. Uh, must see TV. Yeah, that's what they. That was the code more, uh, when it was uh, Seinfeld and Riser and uh, Jonathan Silverman and one string. They'd go, "Yeah, hey, she's a little must see TV." Wow, God. it was like the three uh, parentheses of the times. <laughs> oh man, 
Look, that was, what a block that was, huh? Ugh. What a triumph for the Jews. I know, male Jews. I will say this. I remember like, cause Seinfeld was on and I remember we got to the Festivus episode and it was like, am I on Mars? Are we sitting here and pretending that George Costanza is Christian? Like, am I in outer space? He's Italian, right? <laughs> Jerry Stiller <laughs> is his dad. We're talking, these are non-Jews. These are people that have Christmas presents. Yeah, Jews play Italians. I know, but it was a shock to me. I didn't And then I didn't Italians know. play uh, like tough Italians, right? <laughs> yeah, they do. No, um, I feel like De Niro, there have been some, there's been some, we've gone in both directions. We've gone in both directions. De Niro gets to play anything he wants. Lorraine Bracco played Jewish in Goodfellas, I believe. Yeah. I believe yeah. her character was Jewish. Yes, Karen. And her parents were none too pleased with that situation. <laughs> <laughs> and I, that felt very true to me. In Georgia, <laughs> it was announced that Joe Biden might send Pete Buttigieg to China as ambassador after Kamala Harris made the suggestion to Joe Biden in a Zoom with her camera off sounding suspiciously like Amy Klobuchar exacting revenge. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to send uh, Mayor Pete to China. I think it's cool. I think it's cool if, if Pete takes on that job. That's a job George H.W. Bush had. It's a really big ambassadorship. I just like the idea of Amy Klobuchar having carried a grudge and somehow managed to take over Kamala Harris's Zoom with with Joe Biden to kind of pull the strings. And then it's like, I am you know, I imagine Amy Klobuchar descending from the ceiling. In my mind, Amy Klobuchar has become a kind of John Wick figure uh, who uh, scorched earth occasionally must you call upon her powers, you know? It's funny, everyone understands why, like, if John Wick gets his dog killed, he's gonna murder a lot of people and it will be justified. But human beings getting killed is just like, hey. In the film Face Off, uh, there is a moment in which Nicolas Cage, in the body of John Travolta, or John Travolta in the body of Nicolas Cage, I don't oh. remember. But one of them ends up in a prison, just a prison, you know? And has mm -hmm. to escape. And he shoots his way out of the prison. Now, he, the prison just thinks it's a mastermind super criminal. We know, as, as members of the audience, that that's actually the, the, the good guy in the body. Right. So the good guy in the body of the bad guy has to escape from jail to save the city. But he shoots his way out of the prison. And I remember just sitting there in the theater being like, from the point of view of the people working at the prison, yeah. this guy sucks. <laughs> yeah, just murdered. I always wanted to see a movie where it's like the good guy around was like killing a bunch of people and then it just goes to one of the people he kills and you just back up and watch their whole life up until that point. <laughs> or one of those, one of those uh, fruit stands that James Bond drives through. Yeah, what the fuck? Uh, the Federal Trade Commission and 48 attorneys general have filed landmark antitrust lawsuits against Facebook, alleging that the company illegally crushed its competition by buying up its rivals and weaponizing its staggering troves of user data. Uh, the FTC is recommending Facebook spin off Instagram and WhatsApp, leaving Facebook to focus on its core business, promoting Dan Bongino and finding ways for high school exes to arrange disappointing marital infidelities. Just more of a thinker. You know, it's it's a lot to process. Yes, it was it's a, a thinker. It was a it's lot. A... That's a that's a that's something that I, I'll put too much in. You know what I mean? I'll put too much in. I'll overseason. But can the joke carry the weight of it? Sometimes it can. This time seems like maybe not. Maybe not. Yeah. Maybe not. I would have ended at Dan. Uh, what do you guys say his last name? Bongino. Bongino. Yeah. That yeah, was, you could have just ended me. at Dan. That was strong. You're right. 
focus on its core business, promoting Dan Bongino. Yeah, you know, funny name. I did that. Tr true, it's funny. You know, the whole it's it's funny in whole myriad ways. I think that after years of watching Letterman, my when in doubt. I just punch the end like he would when he didn't believe in what he was doing. <laughs> you know? Dan Bongino. Oh, Dan. <laughs> the former head of Israeli space security program, Haim Ashed, said that aliens are real and a galactic federation contacted Israel and the United States, but that humanity is not ready. The galactic federation said they'd return once we figured out how to get rid of climate change, nuclear weapons, and that overused gif of a woman from Big Brother doing a spit take. <laughs> Do you know that spit take? Do you know that I'm talking about? The one woman of that woman, she goes, she just does a little spit take. Have you seen that in no. your Twitter? No, oh my God, it's relentless. It's but relentless. I can picture it. It's just a half spit take. It's not the full spray. It's like a light spray. It's a light spray. It's a light spray. Now, here's our final joke, and you know what? It's a doozy. It's okay. a doozy. Get and ready finally. to laugh. Sorry. I'm the worst. I'm the worst. <laughs> it's pretty hard on Zoom. Are you ready to laugh? And finally, Lifetime and KFC made a mini movie called A Recipe for Seduction, and it stars Mario Lopez as sexy Colonel Sanders. It's so graphic, you can only watch it on the 11 Herbs and Spice channel. <laughs> don't fight for it. Don't, don't, that, don't do it. I don't want that laugh. I don't want it. I don't want it. The Spice, you remember the Spice channel? I was permanently scarred because when I was like, I want to say eight years old. I want to say eight years old. I went to a slumber party at a boy's home. I remember his name and I'm not going to say it. All right, I'm not gonna say his full name. Can you say just the, uh, like if you were just gonna like, banana, ba ba ba? Uh, I will say his name is Jeffrey Butta. And I remember that we had pizza, it was like very normal, and then the parents went to sleep, and then he snuck behind, they had one of those big projection TVs, like the kind of big, the old ones that were kind of like giant boxes that were kind of had a terrible picture, but the big screen, the rear projection ones. Yes. You know, like that, they, that like you made it, you had a gigantic, terrible television but he snuck somehow behind the television and there was a key and he turned the key it was a key that apparently he must have stolen the key from his father i don't know but he turned the key and all of a sudden there was porn and then i was with this group of kids watching heterosexual hardcore pornography from like 1 a.m to 4 a.m and when i say that those images are seared into my memory uh, it was harrowing because I imagine for the other, it must have been too much for all the boys. Yeah. But at least some of them are like, that seems cool in some fundamental way. For me, it did nothing. It was just haunting. How old were you? I think like eight or nine, oh, maybe 10. Wow. Maybe 10. It was rough. It was rough. One of the parties, it was like a, there was a there was a New Year's sex party and it was chilling to the core. And it wasn't until I was older that I was like, oh, my God. That's not what a New Year's Eve party is. <laughs> like, that's not what adults do. That's just a creepy uh, TV thing. I had a, uh, I recently remembered something, uh, like a major lie I remember telling, which is I was 15 and I went to New York and I was going to stay with some New York friends that were, I had done summer stock with that were grownups. Mm -hmm. And this guy said, um, you know, my day job is giving me a night at the Waldorf Astoria. You can stay there instead of, and I'll stay home, you know, my place. 
So I was a 15-year-old kid in a hotel room by myself for the first time. So I meet him the next morning, he picks me up, and he's at the front desk, and he said, um, there seems to be a $200 charge for adult films. I spent the whole night watching every adult film available on that TV because I couldn't believe I could see naked people having sex. I didn't know it cost money or anything. And I was like, I did not do that. Like, it was just, I just lied. I mean, but clearly, right I'm sure he knew I was lying. My face was beet red. I was probably sweating for the first time in my life. But it's such a good lie. That is a great lie because you know you're lying. He knows you're lying. Yeah. You know that he knows you're lying, but you still never have to have the conversation. Yeah, exactly. You both get to have the the lie is a, just a nice little plexiglass divider that keeps the truth droplets from passing between you, you know? Yeah. In a way? Yes. To put it in oh, our a current situation. Very you know? current. You think about it. The truth very droplets. current. <laughs> the aerosol truth droplets. That's what we're trying to stop with that lie. Yeah. Sarah Silverman. We did it. Thank you so much for being here. We did it. We did it. Everybody, please subscribe to the Sarah Silverman podcast. It's hilarious. You will love it. I am so delighted to see you again. Thank you so much for being here. When we come back, Senator Brian Schatz, we will not tell him what we talked about. Let's see some <laughs> masturbatory stories from him. Yeah. Yeah, Schatz. <laughs> Take your best shots. Hey, don't go anywhere. There's more of Love It or Leave It coming up. Love It or Leave It is brought to you by Fast Growing Trees. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? You can grow lemon, avocado, olive, or fig trees inside your home. On top of the wide variety of houseplants available, Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee... They offer free plant consultation forever. Mike Pence should have gotten one of those after the election day. <laughs> <laughs> the experts at Fast Growing Trees curate thousands of plants for all climates, locations, and needs. Available 24-7, you can talk to a plant expert about your soil type, landscape designs, and how best to take care of your plants. The point is, I may not have a green thumb, but that's why Fast Growing Trees is perfect for me, because it makes it so easy. Right now, they have some of the best deals online, like up to half off on select plants. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LOVEIT at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using the code LOVEIT at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com, code LOVEIT. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions apply. And we're back. He is the senator from Hawaii. Please welcome returning champion, Senator Brian Schatz. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, John. So uh, as we speak, uh, uh, there are tense negotiations over a COVID relief bill, something that should have happened months ago, and that is still uh, uncertain right now. I would like to read you the headline and part of the lead from a story in Politico that just ran describing the status of the negotiations Stimulus debacle exposes broken Washington. It's the latest evidence Washington is broken. At the peak of the worst public health crisis in a century, the White House and Congress are struggling to deliver another round of relief and time in the lame duck is quickly running out. How frustrating is that narrative to you? And can you just tell us what is actually going on right now in these negotiations? 
Yeah, this is Mitch McConnell's fault. Um, and it is maddening. I don't want to get too much into media criticism, although I do some of that on Twitter. But this is maddening because this one really is 100 percent Mitch McConnell's fault. There is a bipartisan, bicameral framework for around $900 billion worth of COVID relief, which we could put onto the, the government spending bill um, uh, that needs to pass uh, by the end of next week. And Mitch McConnell is the only person who's blocking it. Some Senate Republicans are for it. The president, although I'm sure he doesn't understand it, is saying that he would sign it. The obstacle is Mitch McConnell and no one else. This is not a situation where the House passed you know, a bill that has lots of our priorities, but the you know, Senate Republicans have a different view. This is actually the product of a bipartisan uh, negotiation, and Mitch McConnell is blowing it up, and he relies on that kind of framing to make it such that he can get away with blowing up something that is absolutely essential. And I'm, I'm quite concerned for people who have to pay rent. I'm concerned about layoffs in state and county governments. We need tens of billions of dollars to make sure this uh, vaccine gets distributed um, efficiently and equitably and safely. And all of that is in the $900 billion package. So we're going to keep pushing. Um, we are going to stay engaged on a bipartisan basis. But uh, Mitch McConnell right now is the problem. Now, is he standing in the way of this deal because he doesn't believe, like, obviously, there'd be a big majority in the House that was bipartisan. There'd be a big majority in the Senate that's bipartisan to pass this. There's a desperation to pass something because we're in crisis, as you said. But is the, is the reason he's holding it back is because he doesn't believe he has that a majority of his own members in the Senate would support it? Like, what is his rationale? Oh, I don't know. Um, I, I actually don't know. But I think Anything that he put on the floor um, could actually get a majority of Republicans because Donald Trump is pushing for it. And really, as we all know, they pretty much do whatever he says. And so um, I don't know what his calculation is other than he wants to prove that government can't be effective even in the most urgent of situations, because philosophically, I think that's where he stands on issues like this. I think he, he regrets having passed the CARES Act because it helped so many people. And here we are. How do liability protections currently fit into the negotiations? Some of the negotiations were about trading or, or equating state and local aid for some form of liability protection, which is to, you know, for companies uh, to keep from being sued over, over the virus. Yeah, and this is such a weird thing because right now there have been 20 lawsuits uh, in the first part of, of this calendar year related to COVID in the workplace. And the reason for that is because I'm not a lawyer, but this has been explained to me by multiple people. It's really hard as a plaintiff to make the case that you caught COVID in the workplace because we're in a pandemic. You could have caught it anywhere. And so every employer has that defense, which is why lots of lawyers won't take a COVID case because you're not going to be able to win a trial. And so this is kind of a cooked up problem. Nobody from the business community in Hawaii or nationally was demanding this. But they decided to take state and county funding hostage in exchange for essentially limiting people's access to redress in the courts. And um, that's all this is. This is hostage taking. And, you know, the kind of bummer about it is that the Capitol Hill press will frame this as, you know, well, why don't they just trade liability reform for state and county funding? And the answer is one thing is related to COVID relief and the other thing is just purely hostage taking for a long-term priority that Mitch McConnell and the National Chamber of Commerce have had that has nothing to do with the current pandemic. Yeah, it reminds me a bit of the hostage-taking over the debt ceiling, where it was seen as 
Democrats trying to make a deal over the budget, over taxes, over financing the government with Republicans taking the government hostage using this sort of unrelated lever. The, 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 the idea that preventing localities from laying off police officers, which Republicans claim to want to fund, and teachers, and first responders, and you know, cutting back on infrastructure projects. Like The only reason that's being considered a Democratic priority is because baked into our politics is the assumption that Republicans don't give a shit. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And there's a Capitol Hill press that gives Mitch credit for being clever and wily and strategic uh, for doing things that if we did it, they would rightly call us cruel and venal and corrupt. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, and, and I, I started with that horrible headline because it speaks to how we end up in this situation. The idea that what we're seeing is Congress is broken or Washington is broken. You know, we're in now, a, a, there's a bipartisan negotiation. Democrats have, had passed a much larger uh, rescue bill uh, months and months ago. They have come down and come down and come down. Uh, and now we're finally at this, what, roughly $900 billion, this $1 trillion package, far less than what Democrats and most economists would say we need. And even still, it's being stymied. What What do you see right now as the hope? Are you hopeful that we can get to the end of this lame duck and pass something to help people in this crisis? Yes, I am hopeful. I mean, I'm pissed uh, and I'm determined and I'm not going to pretend I'm not pretty seriously worried. But I continue to be hopeful because I think that everybody understands that we can't go home from the Congress uh, not having passed anything, Democrats and Republicans alike, right? There is a time to kind of posture and say, well, if you don't want a bill, let's see how the voters respond, right? Or whatever. But this is a situation where we're going to wrap up our work for the year in the next week or so. And we cannot wrap up our work for the next week or so, understanding that people are going to be laid off. People are going to be evicted. People are going to lose their homes. Um, and we're not going to be able to fund vaccine distribution unless we pass a bill. And so I think that pressure is enormous. And I think people of goodwill uh, on both sides of the aisle are going to be able to come together. But we're going to have to um, roll Mitch McConnell in the process. So I want to also ask you a bit about the Biden administration, which has been taking shape. Can you talk a little bit about the balance Biden has struck ideologically? Uh, in the picks that we've learned about so far? What has made you feel confident? Are there any picks that have been of a concern uh, for progressives in your mind? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think, first of all, the progressive movement has gotten their mind around this idea that personnel is policy, right? Mm -hmm. And that it very much matters who you put into the key positions. I'm particularly thrilled that the economic team is also a climate team. And that the national security team is a team that understands uh, how uh, climate change and climate action and climate cooperation is part of our geopolitical strategy. And so I'm really thrilled about that. You know, I want to see the whole list of members and I'm, I mean, uh, uh, members of the cabinet and sub cabinet before I make a final judgment. I'll also just make the observation that you don't really know who's going to be a progressive champion until they start doing the work. Some folks come in. Um, with lots of good credentials and disappoint and others, you know, you may have your reservations about, but turn out to be uh, a pleasant surprise. So, you know, part of my job in terms of being a senator and, and advising and consenting to these nominations is to do those interviews and those hearings and to understand how they're going to attack this job. Are you worried at all about having another 
Secretary of Defense that requires a waiver? Are you worried at all about not having civilian control of the military? Yeah, I am. Well, so I guess there's a couple of things. First, yes, I am, generally speaking, worried about that. I voted for the Mattis waiver on the adult in the room theory. Mm-hmm. It's super difficult to imagine voting for Donald Trump's sec defs waiver and then not Joe Biden's sec defs waiver. <laughs> right, of course. That's actually the problem, Right. <laughs> right, is that now this is a pattern where we're, we're taking a retired uh, general or flag officer and then waiving our own statutory requirement and then making them the secretary of defense. So, yeah, I think it's a concern, but this president needs to be able to stand up his cabinet and I, I'm going to vote for the waiver. Now, I haven't um, you know, talked to General Austin. I have to evaluate him on, on the basis of his qualifications. But because I voted for the Mattis waiver, I'm going to stay consistent and vote for the Austin waiver. Now, do you think uh, your colleague, Senator John Cornyn, was being sincere when he said his problem with Neera Tandon was uh, that her tweets weren't civil enough? <laughs> well, in a way, I do. I think it's silly because they, everyone obviously pointed out that they spent four years saying, I don't see the tweets. I'm not on Twitter. I didn't, you know. And, and so on that level, you know, it exposes their hypocrisy. But I, I, I do think their I think their feelings are hurt, you know. And the fact that Neera Tannen is, is extraordinarily qualified to run OMB is not the point for them. She said mean things about Republicans, and that for them is disqualifying. So it actually doesn't surprise me. And, and I know I'm supposed to say, well, that's not a sincere uh, grievance, but I think they're, you know, aggrieved. I think their feelings are hurt. Wow. It's amazing. Uh, it's amazing what, um, you know, it, it's the old saying, you know, uh, uh, you know, for my friends, everything, for my enemies, the law. It's like, for my friends, Donald Trump, for my enemies, civility. Uh, that's good. I like that. It was okay. It was okay. I made it up in the fly. <laughs> Thank you for humoring me. Yeah, a degree of difficulty was, <laughs> was yeah. So, anyway, go it was on. okay. <laughs> we talked about this before the election, and I wanted to revisit it because I said that we would. We talked about the fact that, you know, Trump was threatening democracy. He's threatening the bedrock practice of just ordinary politics that we use debates, facts, argument to wage campaigns. They're not always, you know, totally intellectually honest. There's bias. There's misleading information. But we let voters decide. We put our best case forward and we respect the results. Trump was running against that in some ways. But we had talked about is that based on polls, based on the genuine needs people had in their lives, that we should not talk about his threat to politics as much as we talk about what's happening inside of politics, about healthcare, about jobs. And, and, I, and I saw some feisty tweets from you, from one Senator Brian Schatz, about the fact that in hindsight, you know, we're not totally sure if we can even rely on polls. Uh, we had these down ballot defeats. We now have 18 Republican attorneys general basically saying they don't want democracy, they want Republicans, not democracy. And it's all based around the fact that these Republicans believe that there's more to lose in bothering the base than having integrity and respecting democracy. How are you thinking about this challenge right now about how we make an argument for democracy itself, how we campaign for these sort of bedrock American principles that seem to have lost purchase in one of our two parties? Yeah, I don't have an easy answer for that. But I will say that, you know, looking back, you know, not just on the election results, but thinking about this in the in the sort of sweep of history, you know, maybe we should have pointed out the corruption a little more aggressively and not assume that just because some pollster told us that ACA was the main thing, that it was always the main thing. Now, there is a theory of the case that when you're dealing with elected leaders with fascist tendencies, that if you freak out too aggressively about the behavior, right, and about the anti-democratic behavior, 
that you can't win. You know, this ha- this uh, arguably happened with Berlusconi, and there are other examples of if you don't focus on bread and butter issues, you sort of never get over the threshold of actually winning a, a working majority. But I think it's just worth pointing out that you've got uh, 17 attorneys general, a uh, hundred, I think, a hundred members of the U.S. House who want to overturn a Democratic election. There are plenty of elected Republicans, maybe not quite half of them, but a really strong and alarming plurality of elected Republicans who are proudly saying that they want to overturn the election on the basis of nothing other than their guy didn't win. And and if we don't make the case that that's disqualifying for them as a party, then shame on us. Now, does that mean it's the main thing we're talking about every, every time we open our mouth? Maybe not. But I feel a little sheepish about the extent to which I prioritize message discipline, right? Right. Uh, over my own instincts to say, these people are actually overturning everything that we hold dear. Uh, you know, you are among many that have been sort of sounding this alarm. It's it's actually, I think, it's this harder problem, which is we can't solve it in one election, right? Like, okay, we talked about it more. The problem is deeper than that, right? Because it takes a very long time for these kinds of ideas. It seems, you know, that th- this rejection of democracy has been taking hold for a very long time. It seems like we have to just be honest that talking about it won't be the answer for a long time. We have to make a really concerted long-term case to figure out how to convince millions of the 75 million some odd people that voted for Donald Trump who maybe are receptive to an argument that democracy is a good thing yeah. and we should try to uphold it. Well, and I, you know, one of my great colleagues in the Senate was talking about Part of the reason for the distrust in institutions, you know, there, there's the party problem, there's the Fox News ecosystem and, and Facebook and, and, and talk radio, but it is also that institutions have stopped working for people. And so it's not just a theoretical thing or a filter bubble or just a question of what our messaging is. It's that the institutions that people used to rely upon, whether it was their union or their church or their government, to make their lives better are not making their lives better to the extent that it used to. And so the difficulty for Democrats is that we're, we have to make some of these institutions work. And so, you know, you, you definitely hear this on Twitter where it's like Democrats aren't playing hardball enough and all the rest of it. But all that does is create, I mean, obviously we should play as tough as we can, but as it relates to making institutions work, we're the party of making institutions work, right? We have to be, because if not, then we're just presiding over a death spiral. And maybe we'll win more elections, but we'll actually accelerate the death spiral of all these institutions. And so what we have to do is provide COVID relief. What we have to do is take climate action. What we have to do is provide money for state and local government, because that's what we're about. And it's our reason for being. We might be able to win more elections at the expense of those institutions, but in the long run, that's not worth it. Well, Senator Brian Schatz, thank you so much for your time. It's a big conversation, and I'm sure we will be having it over the next two years as we uh, fight to, uh, you know, win. Yeah. Thanks, John. (laughs) Thank you so much to Senator Brian Schatz for being here. When we come back, I talk to Margaret Keenan, the first person to receive the COVID-19 vaccine outside of a clinical trial. Don't go anywhere. This is Love It or Leave It, and there's more on the way. It's 2024. We're facing another presidential election with huge stakes. You want to help. You don't know where your money will actually make a difference or how to figure that out. Ensure you love to take an edible and not think about it, but you can't because you do care. 
Let Vote Save America make it easy for you with their new anxiety relief program. Here's how it works. You set up a monthly recurring donation at the level that feels right for you, and Vote Save America will send 100% of it to the grassroots organizations and down-ballot races that need it most. Then, at the end of the month, they'll tell you where your dollars went. That's it. Set it and forget it. Vote Save America has already raised $52,000 in monthly recurring donations. Love it. That's great. From over 1,000 amazing sustaining donors who've signed up and trusted Vote Save America to make their dollar go further. But we still have a long way to go, and Vote Save America needs your help to get there. Sign up at votesaveamerica.com and enjoy your edible. <laughs> Legal disclaimer, paid for by Vote Save America, votesaveamerica.com, not authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. And we're back. It has been a long and difficult year. And with COVID surging again, it can be hard to see a light at the end of the tunnel. But this week, we all felt a little more hopeful. And I'm not just talking to Travis. I'm not. <laughs> I'll just let everyone at home know that he put something there that supposedly gave us hope that is not appropriate. And I'm just going to leave it there. I mean, of course, that the first doses of the COVID vaccine started to be administered in the United Kingdom. This is obviously incredibly positive news. So we would like to welcome a surprise guest. She is maybe the most exciting guest we've ever had. She is a 90-year-old grandmother from Coventry, England. And earlier this week, she became the first British person to receive the COVID-19 vaccine outside of a clinical trial. Please welcome Margaret Keenan, Mrs. Keenan. How are you feeling? Oh, John, I cannot tell you how much a relief this is. I saw one nurse on the telly say that it felt like she was injecting hope. And honest to goodness, that's what it feels like. The hope I felt, well, it completely knocked me for six. Well, that's so good to hear. What has been the biggest change you've noticed in your day-to-day -day life since you've received the vaccine? Well, it's mostly the confidence. I feel safe as house as John. Do you know what that means? It's vaguely. It's, it's a, a British, British saying. Thing. Yes, British it saying. is. British saying, yeah. That's yeah. right. I've started going on walks again. I walked to a small bookshop on the high street. Oh, I love the smell of old books. <laughs> Felt nice just to breathe in and breathe out in this small confined space with my dear friend, Mr. Godry. The bookman and his four adult sons who often stop in to help dear old dad. Would you believe those boys all work together at the prison? I'm just not sure that's such a good idea, but I'm glad you're feeling oh, optimistic. John. I'm, I'm glad you're feeling optimistic. A little worried, but a lot of people are curious. Walk us through the experience. Tell us right. about getting the shot. Right, 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 right. Okay. Well, it was quite a procedure. A lovely young woman came over to me with a test tube. Mm -hmm. You know, a test tube. A test tube. And this was interesting. That's right. This was interesting. <laughs> it was a bright neon green color. Neon green? Mm -hmm. I had no... That's so, I didn't know that. I didn't know that it was neon green. That's strange. <laughs> That's right. And everyone was cheering. And then I realized she had test tubes all around her waist like a bandolier belt. And you could buy one for four pounds or three for ten pounds. Well, John, I'm not ashamed to admit I was so caught up in the moment. I handed her 20 pounds and she poured that shot right into my wait, mouth. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Mrs. Keenan. Mm. Mrs. Keenan, I'm... 
Mm. I was asking you about the. Uh, are you talking about going to a to a club? Are you talking about a dance club? Mm, I was yes. asking about the the vaccine. Mm. You're talking about a club. Yes, 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 my American Hebrew friend. I haven't felt this young and free since John Gilgood asked me to dance at the Royal Palladium in 1962. But this time, John, no one leaves with Martin Hensler but me. <laughs> This time it's my turn. Mrs. Keenan. <sighs> Mrs. Keenan, I'm very worried. Mrs. Keenan is my mother's name. Call me Maggie. You know what? No. Use my new name, my immune name. Call me Margot. Okay. Okay. Margot. Uh, Margo, I, I don't I don't think this is safe. Mm. Can you I I don't can you at least just tell us tell us what it was like for those who were nervous about it? Are you experiencing mm. any side effects? Well, yes. I'm a bit short of breath and a little dizzy. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. What are the what are the doctors saying? That it's probably from the hookah. <laughs> Cha-ching! Ooh, baby, baby! Margot the Invincible hit her numbers yet again. I guess this vaccine makes me immune to losing too. Is that what it is, Mrs. John? Keenan, are you in Who? a casino? Who? You should not be in a casino. A casino doesn't do it justice. I'm at the Cosmopolitan Resort and Spa in the beautiful Las Vegas. The rooms here are so cheap, they're practically paying me to be here, John. <laughs> Little Johnny John. Mrs. Keenan. Who? Mrs. Keenan. Who? Margo. There we Margo. go. Margo. I'm going to put aside just how deeply jealous I am that you're in Vegas <laughs> to ask you to answer some questions just about the process of getting mm. the vaccine. That's why you're right, here. Right, I want right, to ask right, you about right, the right, process. Right. You're one of the few right. people who can give us information. And currently, mm -hmm. please, if you wouldn't mm. mind putting down your drink and helping us with this interview for just a moment. Mm. Yes, 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 of course, of course. I'm so sorry. Although I can't really put down my drink. It's like a hat that I'm wearing with two beer cans on it and a curly straw. <laughs> but yes, I'm sorry. I'll answer all your questions, dearie. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Oof. Where was I? All right. So, mm. in your opinion, having yes. now had the vaccine, who do you right. think should get the vaccine first? Well, I think it's important to take care of those of us who are most vulnerable. So, senior men, single senior men who aren't afraid to whip it out at the old country buffet. Oh, com oh come on. You can't possibly be going oh, to... come on. What do you expect me to not eat at buffets right now? There's hardly any line. Okay. Join me. This is enough. Margaret Keenan, everyone. And please... Margo. Margo, please, please... Stay safe. You're not supposed to. It's not up to. And you gotta get. You still have to get the second dose. Second dose. Oh dear God! Go to the hospital right now, Margaret Keenan. Everybody. I'll go to hospital right now. I'll go right <laughs> oh, sorry, to hospital. Sorry, I should have said it in a way that you would understand, not to the, yes. the go to hospital. Yeah. Otherwise, it's hospital. incoherent. Yes. Doesn't make any sense to you. Go to hospital. Bye, John. <laughs> uh, well, Margaret Keenan has now gone to the hospital, and here is Darcy Carden. <laughs> My goodness, you just missed, you just, you just missed Margaret Who? Keenan. Now she oh. was by Margot. You just missed her. She's one of the I, first people to get the vaccine. I really want, I had a lot of questions for her. Hi, John. Hi, hi, Darcy. Darcy, that was so funny. Thank you so much for being here. Love you. When we come back, we'll end on a high note. Hey, don't go anywhere. There's more of Love It or Leave It coming up. 
It's 2024. We're facing another presidential election with huge stakes. You want to help. You don't know where your money will actually make a difference or how to figure that out. Ensure you love to take an edible and not think about it, but you can't because you do care. Let Vote Save America make it easy for you with their new anxiety relief program. Here's how it works. You set up a monthly recurring donation at the level that feels right for you, and Vote Save America will send 100% of it to the grassroots organizations and down-ballot races that need it most. Then, at the end of the month, they'll tell you where your dollars went. That's it. Set it and forget it. Vote Save America has already raised $52,000 in monthly recurring donations. Love it. That's great. From over 1,000 amazing, sustaining donors who've signed up and trusted Vote Save America to make their dollar go further. But we still have a long way to go. And Vote Save America needs your help to get there. Sign up at votesaveamerica.com and enjoy your edible. <laughs> Legal disclaimer, paid for by Vote Save America, votesaveamerica.com, not authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. And we're back. Because we all need it this week, here it is, the high note. Hey, John, this is Brian uh, calling. Something that gave me hope uh, this week is uh, I work at a homeless shelter. We, you know, we're in lockdown and... Um, just all the food the community's making for us. They get people make almost every meal at their home and bring it in to feed people, and it just gives me hope that people are stepping up and trying to take care of one another right now. Bye. Hi, John. This is Deirdre calling from Everett, Washington. This past week was my wife Christy and I 25th anniversary of our first date. Since it was a COVID anniversary, we couldn't really go out and celebrate, so we had takeout Thai food while my wife and son watched the Seahawks game. And my daughters and I wrote postcards to voters in Georgia about the upcoming Senate election. So maybe it wasn't really what we had counted on for our 25th anniversary, but we were all together, and that's what counts. Thanks. Hi, love it. It's Genevieve from Needham, Mass. And my high point of the week is that my husband, who really, truly hates travel, was generally indifferent to London and Paris. The only travel he likes to do is to knock doors. So, like, Hollis, New Hampshire in November is his favorite place to be. And he, who hates to fly, hates to travel, got himself on a plane and is staying in Georgia for a month where he can knock doors for Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff. And I'm so proud of him. And I'm so encouraged by that energy. And and I know it's coming at Georgia from all over. And I really, really hope it makes a difference in January. Thank you so much for everything you and your team do to keep me laughing. Literally, I think the only belly laughs I had in 2020 were listening to Love It or Leave It. So thanks so much. Bye. Hey, John, this is Donald. My high note for this week was just listening to the high note from Tasha talking about all of the amazing outreach work that they've been doing um, as 15-year-olds protecting our future. And it's just amazing to see such vibrant Um, community outreach and electoral outreach from the youth. I think our world is in very good hands if we have even a handful of people like Tasha and her friends out there fighting the good fight. Uh, Keep it up. Thank you so much for everything you guys do. Love the show. Bye. Thanks to everybody who sent in their high notes this week. If you want to leave us a message about something that gave you hope, you can call us at 323-521-9455. Thank you to Senator Brian Schatz, Sarah Silverman, Darcy Carden, and everyone who called in. There are 24 days until the Georgia Senate runoff. Go to votesaveamerica.com to help and have a great weekend. Love It or Leave It is a Crooked Media production. It is written and produced by me, John Lovett, Elisa Gutierrez, Lee Eisenberg, our head writer and the person whose gender reveal party started the fire, Travis Helwig, 
Jocelyn Kaufman, Pallavi Gunalan, and Peter Miller are the writers. Our assistant producer is Sydney Rapp. Bill Lance is our editor, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Our theme song is written and performed by Sure Sure. Thanks to our designers, Jesse McLean and Jamie Skeel, for creating and running all of our visuals, which you can't see because this is a podcast. And to our digital producers, Narm Elkonian and Milo Kim, for filming and editing video each week so you can. <laughs>